Well, we're going to come to God's words, and Dan's going to bring that to us shortly. Before we do, we're going to read the passage. Um, so if you've got a Bible with you, please go to uh, Malachi uh, chapter 1. If you're looking for Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you hit the Gospels, you've gone too far. Um, but we're going to read Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. So let's do that together now. A son honours his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible? When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it, by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the sheep who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord's. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Well, do keep that open in front of you as Dan comes to explain that to us. And do keep thinking about questions you could ask and submit after Dan has finished his sermon. But let me pray for Dan as he um, comes and speaks to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the book of Malachi. Thank you for... Um, the words that are written in this book, that they are true, that they are your words. And Heavenly Father, now I pray that you'd help Dan as he uh, explains that to us. Please open our hearts, uh, open our ears to hear. And Lord God, I pray that um, you would change us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, James. And evening, everyone. This is exciting, isn't it? Evening, everyone at home watching on Zoom. It's good to have you tuning in with us. Um, as you listen at home. But do keep uh, that, your Bible open in front of you in Malachi as we go through it together uh, this evening. But I want to start with a question that, that I've been asking myself uh, this week. And that is, uh, what would my friends, my family, those that I spend my week with, make of Jesus if their only understanding and knowledge of who he is 
is what, from they, what, is what they know about me and how much I make of Jesus. I wonder, would they think nothing less than Jesus? Would they think he's kind of someone that can be forgotten and not really thought about? He's not really that significant. Would they see him as at least someone that's interesting, worth knowing more about? Would they think that Jesus is someone that can kind of be an optional extra in life, someone that's kind of beside us for the really tough times, especially like now, someone that just gives us a bit of hope now and then? Or would they see Jesus as someone who is so significant, so important, so impressive, that he affects every area of our lives? And that a decision to follow Jesus isn't just something to take lightly, but that is something that affects everything. Do you know, it ties into our series that we finished a couple of weeks ago that was about the presence of God. And it was a series that its whole aim was to enable us to make much of God. To see that God is so glorious, so holy, so powerful, so satisfying in every way. And I wonder, does my making much of God, my, my worship of him in every aspect of my life, prompt others in one way or another to notice? To think about him in a different way. Because, you know, it, this evening in our passage in we're introduced to God's people who, quite frankly, make nothing of God in their lives. They're half-hearted in their devotion. The passion's gone. The love has gone. They are spiritually cold. And all of a sudden, a people who are meant to represent God to the nations around, who are meant to bring glory to God... A people who were chosen by God, who were loved so much by God. That's what we saw last week. God says, verse 2, I have loved you. And yet the people, they question that love that God has for them. They say, then, how have you loved us? And do you know, this evening, as we see the people question God's love, actually what we're going to find this evening is it's not... A God's love for Israel that should be the thing in question, but rather it should be the people's love for God. That is the thing that is questioned. And as we go through our passage this evening, I've got two points as we go through. The first one you'll see in the building here, if you've got the sheets, there's two points there. You can fill them in if you've got them. The first one is shut the doors. Don't, don't shut the doors. Shut the doors. That's the first one. You see, throughout the Old, Old Testament, you know, often when a, a prophet was uh, coming to uh, speak the word of the Lord to the people of Israel, often what was exposed as being wrong, normally what was sinful that the people were having to deal with was this sin of idolatry. That is, often when we go through the Old Testament, the problem that the people deal with time and time again is that this, this sin of idolatry that they worship other gods from other nations. But you see, in Malachi, it's a bit different. Do you notice that? You see, in Malachi, it's different. It's not that they are worshipping the wrong God. It's that they are worshipping the right God the wrong way. I'll say that again. It's not that they are worshipping the wrong God. 
is that they are worshipping the right God the wrong way. Look with me at verse 6 if you have your Bibles. God says to the people, he says, A son honours his father and a slave his master. God says, if I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? Where is it? Where is it, God says, from his own people? But then, remarkably, the people that God is confronting with this, they then respond to God's accusation and they then say, how have we shown contempt for your name? That word contempt, a good definition that I found, is it said a belief that a person or thing is worthless or below consideration. Basically thinking someone is so unimportant, I don't even have to think about them. And the people are like, how have we thought like that to you, God? And God responds. Look with me. He says, Well, they've done that by offering defiled food on my altar. We'll look at that a bit later. And then the people come back again. They're not not happy with this and what God is saying. And they say, how have we defiled you? What have we done wrong? God, you keep saying that we're doing all of these things against you. But how are we doing that? Where's your proof? Well, do you know the rest of our passage that we're looking at this evening really brings the evidence? It brings the proof. God brings the proof of how his people are worshipping him in the wrong way. God shows in verse 8 that that people are bringing offerings of blind animals for sacrifices. You see, people were only meant to bring the best animals that they had. Animals that were pure and spotless. The Bible uses, it says, without blemish. Uh, There was nothing wrong. Um, meant to be with these animals that the people were meant to sacrifice. They were meant to be the best. And yet, God says they're bringing blind animals. They're bringing diseased animals. Animals that can't even walk. They're not even just secondary animals the people are bringing to be sacrificed. They are the lowest rated animals that you have. And the kind of lambs you find on the side of the road that have been hit by a car as they've been walking up to the temple. Not even other people want these animals that people are offering to God. And God says that in verse 8. He says, try offering these animals to your governor. Would he be happy to receive these animals you're giving to me? And do you know the shocking thing in all of this is in verse 14. That God shows them it's not because they don't have any acceptable or good animals back home to bring. They just don't want to use them. They want to use their less valuable ones. They want to use the ones that can be disposed of. And, you know, this exposes, doesn't it, the heart of God's people. Because look with me at verse 12. This is really shocking. God says, but you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. God's people are saying we don't even, it's so unimportant, all of this. Verse 13, and you say, what a burden. 
and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. This is what God's people think of their God, how much they make of him and his words. They say, what a burden. You're such a burden to us, God. And do you know what the result of all of this is? Do you know what the result of, of what God makes of this kind of worship? What God makes of a heart that treats the God of all love and compassion and graciousness as a burden? Well, this is really the punchline. This is the big punchline of our passage this evening. Verse 10, God says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. God says, would just one of you, one of you just go and shut those doors to the temple so that no one can keep offering and worshipping in this way. The point, God would rather no worship than this worship, which is just a facade. And do you know, firstly about this, do you know, I love what this means. I actually love this because of what it shows us about who God is and what makes him so distinct and so wonderful. Because, do you know, in Malachi's day, in Malachi's day, they would have been surrounded by all of these nations who would have worshipped other gods. And they would have gone to each of their own temples and bowed down to idols fake gods and they would have presented sacrifices to their gods and you know for them as long as you just brought what the gods the gods wanted well that would be fine you could go home all happy you ticked the box but not with Israel's God not with the true God he is not happy and content with that and he takes issue with being worshipped begrudgingly and falsely Because do you know the simple fact is is that God doesn't need these sacrifices that the people are bringing. It's not like he needs them to survive. Psalm chapter 50, uh, God says, do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? I have no need of these things, God says. He doesn't need the sacrifices to, to survive, but God cares. It's a matter of the heart here. God cares because his people are not making much of him. They don't love him. They're showing a contempt for his name. They think God is so below their value of thinking about him. There's no respect. There's no honor. They don't even view their worship as a priority. But they rather say, what a burden. Because, you know, at the end of the day, what all of this highlights is how much we make of God. Uh, Do you know, imagine for your birthday, uh, you want a remote controlled helicopter. Who wouldn't want a remote controlled helicopter? And imagine for, imagine for your birthday, you're, you're looking forward to this, and someone comes around and they knock on the door, and you open it up, and they present you with this remote control helicopter, although there's one problem with it. It's all in a million pieces, and there's no rotors on it. It's all smashed to smithereens, and they hand it to you as your present. And then even more than that, you find out uh, that they got it from the local tip. 
And they were there this morning dumping their rubbish and they found it in the skip and thought that that would be a pretty good way of getting you the thing that you wanted. I think that's fair to say that when you open the door and you receive that gift, you wouldn't be too happy, would you? You'd be pretty upset. I would be pretty upset. I think we all would. Why? Not because of the gift itself. But it's rather what that gift represents, isn't it? It's what it represents. Because basically, it represents how little someone really cares for you. To be honest, it really shows how little they love you. To give you that gift. It's so much deeper. And you know, I was thinking and I was reflecting on this this week. And I was thinking, what does my life show about how much I make of God? And I was thinking of one example in particular. What, what does my time, my time show about how much I make of God? Does God get my priority or does he get my leftovers? I think he gets my leftovers. And, you know, in a culture and in an age where almost time is the most precious thing that we have to give, we're so busy. Maybe that's changed a bit depending on our circumstances. But time is the most precious thing that we have, the, the most valuable thing we have to give. And, you know, deep down that can even create this, this fact, isn't it, where, where we give God time, we maybe come to church, we come to our different groups, we maybe open up our time in the morning, and we maybe feel that sense of it's a burden to give God that time. It becomes wearisome. Do you know, it reminds me of the letter that Jesus sent to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus says to this church, he says, I know all the good things that you, you've done, but he says, yet I hold this one thing against you. Jesus says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Jesus says to this church, he says, despite everything that you're doing, your love has gone cold. They're making less of Jesus in their hearts than they did at the start. And that is what we're seeing in Malachi this evening. People coming before God, offering sacrifices to God, and yet it highlighting not how much they make of God, but how much they don't love God. And God says, shut the doors. I'd rather nothing than that. And, you know, maybe this evening we're sat here and we're going, why has God, why's God got such an issue with that? Maybe we're at home and we're thinking, but, but at least they were bringing something. At least they got the right God instead of the wrong God. You know, surely baby steps or something like that. Why has God got such a big issue with this? Well, that's what we see in our second and final point this evening, which is among the nations, among the nations. You see, I don't know whether we spotted it as we were going through the passage, but the reason that worshipping God in the wrong way is so wrong is because of who God is. Seven times in our passage, I wonder whether you can spot it here and at home if we've got our Bibles open, seven times Malachi notes that these words are spoken by the Lord Almighty. It says, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, you could also translate that the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of the heavenly armies. It's a description of, of power and glory that, that God has. And that theme continues right the way through our passage. If you look with me at verse 11, 
God says, my name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And then again, right at the end of our passage, verse 14, God says, For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. My name is to be feared among the nations. Firstly, the reason why this is such a big deal and why worshipping God in the wrong way is so big is because he is the great king. That is who God is. And these people in Malachi have completely misjudged and forgotten the God that they are worshipping. They think that he's below their consideration when actually God is unlike any God. He can't be compared with anyone. His glory is matchless. His power is infinite. His presence is eternal. You can't compare God with anything. It's wrong because of who God is. And the consequence of forgetting and, and misjudging who God is, why God also has such a problem with how his people are worshipping him, is because of also God's promise that he makes in this passage and elsewhere in the Bible. God's promise that his name will be great. What does it say? Great among the nations. That one day everyone, not just Israel, but everyone will see his glory. Every nation. And yet how the people worship God highlights how little they make of God. Not just to themselves, but to all the nations around them. Nations will be looking in at Israel and seeing the kind of way that they are worshipping their God and thinking, what kind of God are they honouring here? They don't even think about him. They don't even care. They don't even love him. And yet here in Malachi, God lets them know that even with this half-heartedness, God will still be glorified and nothing can stop that. And in every nation, there will be people who turn to God, who make much of him, who love him and worship him because of who he is. We saw that last week, verse five, just before our passage. It says, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. And, you know, this is still God's commitment now. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 to 11 says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Nothing will stop God's glory being revealed among all the nations. And do you know what? We are proof of that right here, right now. We live in a tiny little island in the North Atlantic, and yet here we are hearing and making much of the God that we hear of. A God that we, we read these events taking place thousands of miles away. We're proof that God's glory is going to all nations. And yet, whilst God says there's nothing we can do to stop this promise coming true, do you know, he invites us to live out this promise. This is it. He invites us to live out this promise because at the end of the day, 
The result of how the people worshipped God meant that people looked in and saw that God wasn't honoured and therefore their God wasn't worthy of honour and living for. And, you know, that truth, that principle applies to us as God's people today. What will people make of God if we do not make much of God in our own lives? If our faith is half-hearted and unimportant to us, what will people's assumption of God be? Do you know, our worship is something that consists so much more. We obviously don't sacrifice animals. And our worship is so much more than just singing songs. Our worship, the Bible says, is living every day for Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you know where to use the lives that God has given us, the gifts that he's equipped us with, the places that God has put us during the week to be used as one big demonstration of worship, that our lives would make much of the God that we follow. And we pray that God would be glorified to those that we spend time around. And yet this evening, I think, I think if we're thinking along the similar lines that I've been thinking this week as I've been preparing, do you know, we might be thinking, yeah, do you know, I think my worship might look very similar to those that we're seeing in Malachi. Seems very similar. And, you know, this, this evening we see our faith as a burden rather than a blessing to live with. Then can I urge us to look to the antidote to that? You see, it might be our impression this evening as we're hearing this passage, as we're hearing of this God who is so glorious, that our impression is that God is so demanding. God isn't easily pleased. God demands everything from us. But you see, we have to remember that this glorious and this great God that we see in Malachi is the God who is not just committed to his own glory, but who is committed to his people too. We saw that last week, a God that loves us with such an incredible love this evening. The God who could have rightly demanded that we pay for every one of our sins, and yet instead of that, instead of demanding payment, he provided a saviour so that we might not have to. A God who reaches out in love to each and every one of us this evening, here and at home, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who carried the biggest burden that anyone in the whole of history has ever had to carry, who carried a cross to that hill where he would carry and bear the burden of everyone's sin and shame and guilt on that cross so that we could be forgiven, we could know life, and we could know a relationship with God forever. If we struggle this evening with being half-hearted, look to the one who is wholehearted for you this evening, who loves you. If we struggle with thinking that discipleship and that the Christian life is a burden, then let us look to the one who took our burden on his shoulders on that cross so that we might not have to carry our sin, our shame, our guilt anymore. Do you know there is an antidote to our apathy this evening? Look to Jesus. 
the great king who is and will be highly exalted. And let us worship him, not the wrong way, but the right way. And to let our lives, everything that we do, the places that we are, the time that we have, all point to how much we make of him, that he doesn't get the leftovers, but he gets the first. He doesn't get the worst, he gets the best. To let our lives worship and bring glory to our most glorious king. Let that be our ambition this week.